here we are organizing tables. I obviously have plenty of time. What are we doing? Uh, I think we're, I think we're playing. We're doing all the things that we did, except the things we did. Sounds great. <laughs> That's my job, playing it twice. Welcome to the gathering of Christ Proclamation Church. Would you please stand with us as we begin our morning with a time of worship and singing Christ, our hope in life and death.
My name is Steve Thiel. I'm the pastor here at Christ Proclamation Church. What a joy and a privilege it is for us to gather as the people of God to worship our risen and reigning Savior, who most definitely is our only hope in life and in death. As most of you know, we exist to know Christ and to make Christ known. So this morning, we're wrapping up our summer sermon series in the parables, God's glorious or glorious gospel truths given to us in Jesus's short stories. So this morning, wrapping up as we look at the parable of the unmerciful servant, which teaches that God so loved the world that he sent his son to live a perfect life and to die a sacrificial death so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might be reconciled to God forever. Therefore, in the same way that we've been forgiven, we must extend that same level of forgiveness to others. So that there might be unity and harmony, reconciliation and love. And that specifically should take place in the local church. So with those thoughts in your mind, here I'll call the worship from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Allow me to pray this morning. Father, we give our service to you. We gather to praise you for who you are. For we recognize that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And certainly you have not dealt with us as our sins deserve. So we gather this morning to rejoice in who you are and all that you have accomplished for us in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Because we understand that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but that you have made us alive together with Christ and have raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. All of that has taken place in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have much to rejoice in this morning, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So Lord, we pray and we plead that you would be doing a good work in our minds and in our hearts, that we would better understand the forgiveness of our sins so that it might impact the way in which we live our lives, bringing unity and harmony and reconciliation and love to a lost world. And certainly we pray that that would be worked out here at Christ Proclamation Church. Lord, we give our service to you. Ask that you would abundantly bless it for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I survey when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and
of our triune God and the redemption of his people. The Father ordains, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit seals mercy, pardon, and righteousness for those who believe. And the result of this great work of mercy is everlasting peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace in our circumstances, peace that surpasses all understanding. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This hope is the work of God in our salvation. By his mercy, he has given us his peace, so that in every circumstance, by his grace, we can fix our eyes on the hope of heaven and sing, it is well with my soul. Sorrows like 
Father, we praise you because by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can declare that it is well with our souls. Not because everything in life is going perfectly, but because our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. 
So despite the circumstances or the things going on in, the, in our lives, we can declare, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, down to the depth of our soul, that we can be right with you, and therefore, we can be right with whatever comes to pass in life. That there's a settled nature. That there's a way in which we are right, eternally right, despite the scenarios. And Lord, we recognize that that is all because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is ours only, exclusively in Him. And so, Father, we praise you and we pray and plead with you that you would continue the good work that you've started in us seeing him rightly and clearly. Lord, that there would be a growing depth in our souls of understanding the forgiveness of our sins that would impact everything that we do in life. Every relationship, every action, every word spoken, every thought that we think. Lord, I pray that you would be doing that good work for our good and for your eternal glory, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me go ahead and dismiss the teachers and the kids. Off to Proclamation Kids. It is the last week in August, so we continue to only have nursery available and kinder kids available. But if you are with us this morning, if you're a guest with us this morning, you have kids anywhere from first grade down. All you have to do is make your way out into the foyer. There's folks in the foyer who are there to be helpful to you. Just directing you, Proclamation Kids is downstairs. We consider it a joy and a privilege to watch your kids during the, the sermon hour. Sermon time, not always an hour long. Don't want to make anybody nervous about that. Uh, there also is a room available for nursing moms and crying babies at the end of the hall. You just head straight down. It's my office. There's a television in there, so you won't miss any part of the sermon uh, if you're in that situation. In just a few minutes, we're going to open up our service for a share time. You might be a guest with us this morning wondering what exactly is a share time. Well, a share time is an opportunity for us to declare the good work that God is doing uh, in and through our lives. And we recognize that Christianity is not a spectator sport, but it's something that we're living out in daily realities. And so the Bible commands us to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so we set aside time in every service, most services, so that we can have that opportunity to declare what God is doing in and through our lives and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So I want to encourage you to be thinking about what God is doing in your life right now that you can praise him for or what struggle are you walking through that you can ask for prayer for how you can encourage your fellow brothers and sisters spur them on to love and good deeds while you're thinking go ahead and open your bulletins let me highlight some of the things going on at the church uh, first thing that you're going to see is a uh, invitation to our first Samuel sermon series. That'll be in the fall. So we are wrapping up the parable series here this morning and then kicking off First Samuel, September 3rd. So I'll be doing an overview sermon next Sunday morning, giving us the lay of the land for, for First Samuel, and then we'll start walking through uh, that book of the Bible. Uh, so I want to make sure that you have an invitation card. Great time to be inviting people that you know, friends, family, people that you work with. Great time to jump in here at the church as we're kicking off a new book of the Bible. We'd love to have them. 
Second thing you're going to see is the connection card. If you're a guest with us this morning, we would love it if you would go ahead and just fill out the connection card. It uh, allows us to just have basic information so that we can reach out to you. Our desire in reaching out is to find out how we can be a blessing to you and your family. So if you flip it over, there's also a place for prayer requests or if you want to participate in some of the ministries at the church, including life groups. So if you're newer to the church, you're interested in life group, just let us know that you would love to be in one of the life groups, even a preferred night of the week, Tuesday or Thursday, that works well for you. Uh, that would be super helpful. You can place the connection card in the small wooden box at the back of the sanctuary where we also welcome your tithes and your offerings. If you look at the left-hand side, I'll quickly go through the announcements. Uh, on Wednesday, we have our last Wednesday gathering. So we do that in July and August before we take September off and then kick off our life groups. So Wednesday gathering will be this Wednesday night, last one of the season. You also see men's breakfast. So we're kicking off the ministries here at the church. So we'll have men's breakfast on Saturday, September 9th, looking at different uh, Christians and their biographies just to spur us on uh, to be men who live for the glory of God. Then you'll also see congregational meeting on September 17th. If you're a member here at Proclamation, our congregational meetings are quarterly and are mandatory for the members. So opportunity for us to get together. We're going to hear testimonies. We're going to baptize some folks. We're going to bring people into membership, out of membership, uh, and then give some updates on the direction for the fall ministries. So want to make sure that you have that on your calendar. And then Proclamation Conference. So we have the privilege of bringing Dr. Greg Allison down. He's going to be teaching on his book, Embodied, Living, the, Living Whole Lives in a Fractured World. So it's a real privilege for us to have an author, theologian, professor from Southern Seminary to travel up here in order to instruct us on this topic. So make sure that you have that on your calendar, but also the cards aren't quite printed. We'll get those out to you. Would love to have you extend that invitation to folks in other churches. They're more than welcome. Welcome to join us. Uh, one last announcement so that I don't forget. If any of you are interested in fantasy football league, so Proclamation's got a league again kicking off this coming uh, season. Uh, so the draft will be on Thursday. So if you're interested in fantasy football, or even if you're not interested in fantasy football, but you'd like to just be a part of this, it's really fun, competitive, uh, not too much razzing, but just great fellowship. It's really pretty cool. Uh, the draft is Thursday. So just send an email to Steve Linskins or Matt Romeo so that they've got your email address and they'll make sure that you have all the information you need to get plugged into that. I'm going to stop there with announcements. We'd love to hear how God is working in and through your lives. The way we do it here, you stand, face the bulk of the congregation, state your first name. We'd love to hear what God is doing. So who would like to go first this morning? Good. Marcus? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Marcus, and I just wanted to ask for prayer. Uh, we do have uh, something that I mentioned before, which is working with, in the prisons in the area. And a number of people from here at church have shown interest in being a part of that. And so um, on September, the week of September 18th is when these ministries kick off. And so that, I believe that Monday, but it might be other days of the week as well. There are three facilities that are near us. There's Osborne up in the Summers Enfield line. Uh, right next to that is Robinson and then McDougall, which is in South Suffield, which is actually the biggest prison in New England. Um, so those three uh, campuses are where we will be ministering. I think at some point during this fall term, so to speak, we will hopefully get all of our volunteers approved and in the buildings 
And that means that we'll, we'll have people in all three of those settings ministering the gospel to uh, the prisoners who come to that. So just wanted to share that. Please be praying for those opportunities. In particular, be praying for openness of the gospel for uh, prisoners who uh, have not yet showed interest. So each of the sites does have uh, a number of, of guys that will come who are already professing believers, and they bring their Bibles. They're wonderful to interact with. It's a great encouragement to them to be there. Uh, but there's also thousands of, uh, of, of men who are not there, and there's really no way to advertise. Um, so we just need to pray that men would come and they would hear. We do use an Alpha program, which is a specific ministry, so we're kind of jumping on board that. We didn't bring that to the prison. That was the established ministry in the prison that we're working with. And it's a great gospel opportunity. I just ask for your prayer for that. Somebody's interested in jumping in, just reach out to you. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Wonderful. Marcus <laughs> Wilson. Good. Go ahead. Ken? I just want to say that uh, I'll be um, moving to Windsor September 15th, and um, I don't know who's going to help, but whoever's going to help, I will certainly appreciate it and be eternally great, grateful for all that. Um, I've done, despite the arthritis in my back and my bad leg, I've gotten almost everything in my current apartment done by myself. Uh, everything is packed, ready to go, but I can't move until the 15th. So whoever does help me, uh, I will certainly appreciate that. And maybe uh, at the end of that move, I can get them a nice pizza or something. At least end the day joyfully anyway. Thank you for those who are will help me. I don't know who they're going to be, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Ken, whether or not you give us pizza or not, we're happy to help you move. So no problem. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Ken's wife, Gail, is in a nursing home and probably will be there for the future. And so Ken is going to move closer to Windsor so that we can be a blessing to him as a congregation. So Ken will be happy to help you move. Elizabeth? I was able to go home and visit my family in Ohio like two weeks ago, and I was able to share the gospel with my oldest brother, Ryan, who does not know the Lord. Um, and it went well, pretty much. He seemed very surprised. I don't think that he, like, he knows, knows that we're Christians, and, like, he knows we go to church, and we're very open about that, but I never, like, articulated the gospel with him. I don't think, I think he was a little bit shocked, like, he didn't know, like, what I actually believed, and he was like, oh. oh so I'm just praying that he thinks over that, and he you goes, know, I also want to let you know Mike Mullally shared in the first service just an update on Laura. If you don't know, Laura's accident took place over a year ago. And just continues. Uh, she got hit by, uh, she was on her bike, got hit by a dump truck, and so the surgeries continue. Uh, and so just wanted to let everybody know that we've hit that one year anniversary and she's got surgeries upcoming and just they're so grateful for our ongoing prayers uh, and just uh, having a heart that's oriented towards recognizing this is from his hand and for their good and continuing to walk faithfully in the midst of the process. So appreciate your prayers for that. Well, with that, allow me to lead us to the Lord in a word of prayer, and uh, I will pray for some of these things, and then we will close our time of prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer together in unison as a congregation using debts and debtors, so I invite you to pray along with me when we hit that point. Lord, we bow our heads, and we recognize or know that we need to recognize in a greater way that we bow our 
heads before a holy God, the creator and the sustainer of the world, who made us fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Yet, Lord, we recognize that we've turned our backs on you, lived much of our lives in disobedience to you. And yet, you've been so gracious, even as we've sung repeatedly this morning, to send your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who obeyed you perfectly, lived a sinless life for the purpose of being an adequate substitute for our sins, which he bore on his body when he died on the cross. And the sufficiency of that sacrifice seen in his resurrection on the third day, that his payment was sufficient so that we can be forgiven, so that we can bear that debt no more. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, nailed to the cross, we bear it no more. Instead, we're given the gift of his righteousness and the gift of his spirit so that we can live in such a way that brings glory and honor and praise to your name. Lord, we want to know that in a deeper way this morning. We want to understand that with a profound, divinely given knowledge that impacts not not just our thinking on the periphery, but the depth of our soul, that it captures us in such a way that, that the mind of Christ impacts how we think and how we live and move and have our being and the words that we say, the attitudes of our heart, our affections, the things that we love and the way that we treat one another. Lord, that's a work that, that we're asking your spirit to do this morning and that we're grateful for and that impacts all that we do, including being a part of a prison ministry. Lord, we know that in and of ourselves, we have other things to do. And yet here's an opportunity to minister the gospel to these people, to love them well, and to speak truth into their lives and to care about them. Lord, I pray that you would just use that ministry in a mighty way. We're so grateful for the clarity of the curriculum. We're so grateful for the, the people who have a desire to do that. Lord, we pray that, that, that the folks in the prison would be receptive to that. Lord, I pray that you give us clarity, courage, and conviction, similar to Elizabeth that, that had her brother her whole life, and yet the desire to go home, to be at home, and to just clearly communicate the gospel to him again. Lord, we want to be like that. We want to have hearts that are captured by our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's nothing of greater importance. There's no greater way to love somebody than to interact with them, yes, on the reality of sin and death and eternal judgment, but the offer of salvation in the Lord Jesus to be right with God. Lord, give us a passion for that. Give us opportunity, give us desire, give us a willingness. And, and Lord, we pray not just for ourselves, but for the receptivity of the people that we're sharing with, that there would be soft hearts and clear minds and the ability to comprehend the reality of sin and the eternality of judgment and the glory of forgiveness 
living life without guilt or shame and in right relationships with others and eternal perspective and, and, a, and a hope, <laughs> a hope that one day all things will be right. Lord, I pray for all of that in our minds and in our hearts and, and the way it works out practically, including moving Ken to this new place. Oh, may, that, may the move be packed with 80 people. May we carry one box each and just the joy of fellowship and being loving and helpful to a brother who's walking through a difficult time. Lord, so many other things that we could be praying for. We certainly want to be praying for local gospel preaching, churches that are faithfully declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Lord, be at work in the different ministries of this church. Use them so that sinners might be saved and that, uh, that saints might be sanctified. But now we join our hearts together and we pray the prayer which your son has taught us to pray, which says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Early one morning in a small town in rural Georgia, a man named Matt was driving home from work after a long night shift when he fell asleep at the wheel. A few seconds later, he was jolted awake by the sound of the impact. Cars screeching, metal on metal. He'd say later, it was the worst sound he'd ever heard. As Matt removed himself from the vehicle, he saw two people in the other car. A woman behind the wheel and a small girl in the back seat. He would come to find out later that the woman's name was June. She was pregnant. Faith, her 19-month-old daughter, was in the back. Faith would survive the crash, but June would not. As you can imagine, Matt was absolutely devastated. How could he have done this? How could he have possibly been so reckless, so irresponsible? June's husband, Eric, was the youth pastor at the time of an evangelical church in Thomasville, Georgia. And as you can imagine, he was heartbroken. One night he was ministering to his youth group when one of the girls said to Pastor Eric, she couldn't stop thinking about the driver of the other car, how he must be feeling. Pastor Eric responded by suggesting that they pray for Matt, asking God to be with him during this very difficult time. See, Eric saw this as an opportunity to put into practice what he'd preached so many times before. After praying together, Eric said to the youth, Remember, you forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgiveness isn't optional. If you've been forgiven by God, then you need to extend that forgiveness to others. And not only did Eric forgive Matt, but months later he went and pleaded that the courts be lenient in their sentencing during the two years of the criminal investigation. Eric was unable to speak with Matt for legal reasons 
but he had a growing desire to be a part of his life when the trial was over. So two years later, with the trial behind them, the two men began to meet for breakfast, and Matt even began attending Eric's church. Now, how is that even possible? How was it possible for Eric to forgive Matt, not only forgive him, but to develop a relationship with this man? See, Pastor Eric had clarity. He was crystal clear that he had been forgiven the greatest of all debts by God, that the Lord Jesus had cleared him of his sin not counting it against him. And so Eric knew that he must forgive Matt. And he did it happily from his heart. So as we come to our text this morning, we'll see Jesus give a very clear command. Forgive others as you've been forgiven. For those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus' death on the cross, For the forgiveness of our sins, we must never forget the love, the mercy, the compassion we've received. And with hearts full of love and compassion for others, we forgive, just as we've been forgiven. So with that in mind, if you could open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, our text this morning is on page 823, if you're using one of the blue Bibles in the chair in front of you. You'll also find an outline of uh, the, the sermon in your bulletin. If you want to pull that out, we'll be walking through that this morning. We'll be looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. So we're in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 21, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay 
all his debt, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So as we begin this morning, it's important that we understand the context of this parable because Peter's question in verse 21 isn't coming out of nowhere. Two chapters earlier, in Matthew 16, Jesus had declared that he would build his church and that nothing would prevail against it. But in order for the church to be the church Jesus designed, functioning as intended, Jesus knew it needed to be healthy, which meant that relationships in the church needed to be healthy and reconciled. And so in Matthew 18, if you move your eyes up to verse 15 to 20, you'll see that right before our passage this morning, you see Jesus teaching on what discipline in the church ought to look like. He says that if a member of a church refuses to repent and seek forgiveness, a process must be followed. And if he or she continues to refuse to repent, they must be disciplined out of the church. So Jesus is saying, my church will be built. But in order for that to happen, my people in the church must be reconciled. Which means asking for and receiving forgiveness is critical to the functioning of the church. Reconciled relationships must be maintained. To which Peter asks the question in verse 21. Okay, Lord, I get that forgiveness is important, but how often must I forgive? How many times? Now, Peter's thinking seven times is a lot. The number seven in the Bible, is, as many of you know, is typically associated with the idea of completeness. And Jewish tradition at that time required the Jews to forgive up to three times. So Peter's being generous. Seven times, Lord? Should I forgive seven times? Notice Jesus' response. No, Peter, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. So what is Jesus saying? There is no limit, Peter, to the number of times you must forgive. Whenever you're asked to forgive, you forgive. There's no keeping track. There's no score sheet. No tallying. Forgive as many times as it takes, Peter, so that my church can be built, so that nothing can prevail against it. And then Jesus follows his statement with a parable illustrating his point. Let's look again at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the first thing we'll see in the parable is a king wishing to settle accounts with his servants. This was likely a king, not a a king over a massive kingdom, but over a smaller city or town. And thus, he likely would have had personal knowledge of his subjects. And one of his servants owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 2,000 years ago, one talent would have been equivalent to about 20 years' wages. One talent, 20 years' wages. At that time, the annual revenue of, of Herod's entire kingdom was 900 talents. This man owes 10,000 talents. 
Jesus means to, for us to feel the weight, the enormity, the immensity of this debt. He essentially says he owes billions of dollars. It's a debt that he can never pay. No number of years, no amount of work, no selling all of his valuables will enable him to pay off the debt he owes. So what does the king do? He orders the man and his family to be sold into slavery so they can recover a small portion of the debt. And how does the servant respond? Probably no differently than you would if your family's livelihood was at stake. He's desperate. You can hear it in his voice. He falls to his knees. Have patience with me. O king, and I'll pay you everything. So he pleads with his master to show mercy. And what does the king do? Look at verse 27. He pities him. He has compassion on him. He forgives his debt. Not part of it. All of it. His debt, not in part, but the whole is forgiven. He's released from a debt he can never hope to repay. Could you even imagine if this happened to you? Let's pick it up in verse 28 where we see the scene shift to the unforgiving servant. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days' wages, he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. The servant refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Then his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. Do you see the irony here? It's pretty clear. The servant has been forgiven a debt he could never hope to repay, and he goes out searching for one of his colleagues who owes him like $10,000. And he doesn't just demand payment. He begins choking the man. You owe me money. To which his fellow servant pleads for mercy. Notice he uses the exact same words that our servant used with his master. Have patience with me. I will pay you. But our servant refuses to listen. He has him thrown into jail until he can pay every last penny. Now some of the other servants see the injustice, deeply disturbed. They go to the king, explain what's happened. The king is angry, and he summons the man into his presence. You wicked Servant, I forgave you a great debt, and this is what you do. And he delivers him over, has him thrown in jail until he should pay off the debt, which, as we've already established, is a debt he can never hope to repay. So he's been thrown into jail, and the key's been thrown away. Last verse of the parable, verse 35. 
Jesus concludes, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive from your heart. So Jesus concludes the parable with a very severe warning to Peter and the rest of his disciples. And it's a warning to us today. If someone in the church wrongs you and you don't forgive them from your heart, you will be thrown into jail. You will be judged. You know, Jesus uttered a similar warning in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 14. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what starts as a parable meant to answer a question, how many times must I forgive, ends with a very clear warning. Forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is a byproduct of true faith in Jesus. So it comes from the heart. If you've been forgiven, you must forgive. You will forgive. We've been seeing this in all the parables. These are the words of Jesus. John 7 says, no one ever spoke like this man. We would do well to listen to the words of the Son. Before we move to application, two questions that I'd like us to camp on for a little bit. First question, for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, do you understand the extent of God's forgiveness of you? So how much you've actually been forgiven? Do you, do I, do we understand the extent, the degree, the full impact, if you will, of God's forgiveness of us? In order to answer this, the first thing we need to understand is the size of our debt. Our debt, our sin debt, like the servants in the parable, was infinite. We had no hope of paying it off. We had sinned against God, our creator, who had every right, who has every right to decide how we, his creation, mere creatures, ought to live. He made us. He desires a relationship with us. But he's holy and he's righteous. So he doesn't just ask that we try our hardest or do the best we can. No, he requires perfection in order for us to come into his presence. Because that's who he is. He's a holy God. The prophet Isaiah got this. Many of you know the vision he received in Isaiah chapter 6 where he's ushered into the presence of Yahweh himself into the holy of holies where he sees the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stand the seraphim, great angels and they're flying around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what is Isaiah's response? He's in the presence of his holy creator, whose eyes are purer 
than to look on evil. Woe is me, he says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, for us to understand the degree to which we have been forgiven, we must understand the degree to which we have sinned against our holy and righteous creator. Paul says in Romans 3, none of us is righteous, no, not one of us, no one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside together, becoming worthless. No one does good, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has condemned us. We deserve to be thrown into jail and the key thrown away. Like the servant in the parable, we owed a great debt, a debt we could never hope to repay. All of us had sinned against a holy God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. We have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We sang it this morning, our sin not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross. Do you understand the extent of the forgiveness you have received in Christ? King David got it. He'd slept with another man's wife and then had him killed and near the end of his life. He wrote Psalm 103. Here's what he says. We saw it earlier today. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. David understood the extent of God's mercy. He understood that his death, all of it, past, present, and future, had been forgiven, cast into the depths of the sea. Like David, we owed an infinite debt, and we were given infinite forgiveness. Jesus paid it all, full pardon. If the Son sets you free, you've been freed indeed. Full, final, forever forgiveness. Here's a critical point. Maybe you've picked it up by now. When God forgives us, when he forgives you, he remembers your sin no more. That's Jeremiah 31. You sin against him. You're forgiven. 
you sin against him again. He doesn't say that's twice. Jeff, that's the 300th time you've done that. As far as the east is from the west, he forgives our iniquity. He remembers our sin no more. This is so critical for us to understand. We don't carry around the guilt of our sin. We do need to work hard to remove sin from our lives. Paul says in Romans 6, we who are dead to sin cannot still live in it. But when the Son sets you free, you are freed. Indeed. Understand the extent this morning. Church, the degree to which we have been forgiven in Christ. Our sins, they were many. His mercy is more. Second question, do you understand God's heart? Remember, he tells us in the parable that we must forgive from the heart. Which must mean that he forgives from his heart. He's not going to tell us to do something that he hasn't already done. So we need to understand his heart so we can emulate his heart when we forgive. God's heart is first and foremost a heart of love and compassion and mercy for his children. For those of you who have children, think about how much you love them. Like your hearts, most of the time, <laughs> they're fit to break for them. Like you have this little baby and they got the big cheeks and you want to grab their cheeks and like eat them. That's how we like show our love for our little babies. We, my daughter, uh, we just moved her into University of South Carolina last week. Third child, three of three. She's our only girl. She's gone now, went down there, far away from daddy. Yeah, it's bittersweet. But my, my wife, this is our girl. Like, this is my girl, right? My wife says last week, she says, I just feel like a piece of my heart was left in South Carolina. I thought that's such a good picture of God's heart for us, for his children. It's a heart of love. So he forgives us from a heart full of love. He doesn't forgive us begrudgingly. He doesn't forgive us because he has to. No, he forgives us lovingly, tenderly, from a heart of desire. His love is stronger than death, Song of Solomon 8 says. His jealousy is fiercer than the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. No water can quench this love. Do you understand God's heart for his children? We need to see his heart for a couple of reasons, certainly so we can emulate it, but also so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're forgiven. And not just know it, when I say know it, not just know it with our heads, know it with our hearts so, so that we can feel forgiven, so that we can feel it in our bones. We need to feel forgiven. 
when we feel forgiven, when we know we're forgiven out of a heart of God's love, it brings us joy and peace, a settled feeling, a reality. And it allows us to go and forgive others the same way, out of hearts full of love for them. You know, throughout the entire Old Testament, God shows us a picture of his heart for his people, the Israelites. He rescues them from Egypt after 400 years of slavery, performing amazing signs and wonders, judging the Egyptians with 10 plagues. He leads them out of captivity. The Egyptian army is destroyed in the Red Sea while the Israelites walk on dry land. He takes them into the desert, gives them water to drink, bread to eat, a law to follow so that he may dwell with them in their presence. He does nothing but show them time and time and time again his love for them. And what do they do? Exodus 32. They bow down to a calf. A golden calf. Open rebellion against the commandments that he's just given them on that mountain. What were they thinking? So God gets angry, rightfully so, threatens to destroy them when Moses steps in and intercedes on their behalf, pleading with God that he forgive their sin. And what does God do? Certainly judges some of them, but he forgives his people. We see the scene in Exodus 33. Moses says to God, show me your glory. And he passes before him. He puts him in the cleft of that rock. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sin, do you see God's heart for his people? Yet the Israelites continue to sin. They can constantly grumble in the wilderness. They're eventually led into the promised land, right? Their ultimate destination, God giving them land for which they did not labor, vineyards for which they did not plant. And they run after other gods. Over and over they rebel. And over and over he forgives them. We see the cycle continue throughout the entire book of Judges. The Israelites sin. They're judged by God. He delivers them out of the hands of their enemies. They recognize their sin. They cry out to God. He forgives them because he loves them, rescuing them from their enemies. He reestablishes peace in the land. And then it starts over again. The cycle repeats. They sin again. They're captured. They cry out. He forgives, reestablishes peace over and over and over they sin, and over and over and over he forgives them. Do you see God's heart for his people? They go into a tailspin. They get, their sin gets worse throughout the time of the kings. The prophets are sent to warn them. They ignore the prophets. We've seen that in the past in these parables. They ignore them. Some of them they kill. Others are sought in two. Finally, they've gone too far. 
sinned one too many times, committing great apostasy under King Manasseh. God's patience finally runs out. He pronounces final judgment on his people. They're to be exiled, cast out of the land. They're defeated in the battle by the Chaldeans. Their temple destroyed. The walls of the holy city, Jerusalem, torn down. Many of them killed. The few remaining, the remnant taken captive, cast out of the promised land. The Lord, is so, he had so graciously given them the land they never deserved, the land flowing with milk and honey. And yet, even after all of this comes to pass, God's people have been exiled. And he makes a promise to them through the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people and I will bring them back to the land that I gave them. I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. With weeping they shall come and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Their life shall be like a watered garden. I will comfort them and they will be satisfied yet again with my goodness. Is Ephraim Israel not my dear son? Is he not my darling child? These are the words of God. For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Do you understand God's heart for his people? The more we see God's heart, full of love and mercy and compassion for his children, the more deeply we'll experience the fullness of his forgiveness, the more settled we will be, the more joy we will have, and the more we will step out in faith and do his will, including forgiving others from the heart. You know, all of this display of God's heart for the Israelites, as wonderful as it is, no match for the display of his heart at the cross, at Calvary. God shows his love for us. He's showing it to you today. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our debt was infinite, more than 10,000 talents. And yet his love and mercy were infinitely more. Our sweet Jesus died in our place. Every drop of that blood worth more than 10,000 talents, worth more than 10,000 universes.
you are worth dying for. You're worth it. You're worth God giving up his son. You're worth that. This is more than transactional. This is love. Do you understand God's heart for his church? As we move to application, I want to start with those of you today who don't yet understand, you haven't grasped the fullness of his love for you. You really haven't grasped it at all. Not to the extent we're talking about. You must understand that God created you. You were formed in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And he didn't create you to ignore him. He created you because he wants to be in a relationship with you. And yet that's what you've done. You've ignored him. You've sinned against a holy and righteous God. You deserve to be thrown in jail and the key thrown away. That's his judgment that you will experience when you die if you don't seek his forgiveness today. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman. He comes down to earth in the flesh. This happened 2,000 years ago. The word became flesh, it says in John 1, and dwelt among us. And he performed miracles. He taught crowds. But that's not the main reason he came. He came to go up on that cross. He set his face toward Jerusalem, went to the cross to die, to be crucified on a cold, hard, wooden cross for sinners like you and me. What happened at that cross? Our sins were placed on him. He is the sacrificial lamb, a lamb without blemish or spot. Our sins were placed on him. All of the anger and the wrath of God taken out on him instead of us. And we receive forgiveness if we put our faith in him. It's a wonderful exchange. He gets our sin. He gets our filth. And we get grace and mercy and love. We're made alive. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. Grab a hold of Jesus this morning. Let today be the day of salvation for you. You know, he rose from the dead three days later. Proven fact, 500 people saw him. 
God declared him righteous. Death no longer had dominion over him, and God can, can, can declare you righteous today. He was raised from the dead for our justification. And now we can have peace with God. We saw it this morning. Peace with God. Why don't you want that? Why wouldn't you want your sins forgiven? You get a clean slate. If the sun sets you free, you can be free indeed. You can be made clean. Come to Jesus today. For those of you who have trusted in Christ for your salvation, two direct applications from our parable this morning were on point B, forgiveness understood. I want us to grow in our understanding of God's heart for us. We saw it for the Israelites. That's the old covenant, Old Testament. How much more for his people today? So how do we do this? Rubber hits the road. How do we grow in having this heart that's captured? I would just say, we've got to be people that are in our Bibles. We have to be in the Word of God. We have to be in the Word of God every day. And I understand that for some of us, there's just not a lot of time. We have little ones running around and all sorts of things going on. I would just say, find a little bit of time. Spend it with God in his word. Seek out his heart of love for you. And for those of us who have more, I do. I just sent my third one to South Carolina. I can get up in the morning and I, don't, I have a quiet house, praise the Lord, <laughs> at some level. Drink the word down. Like, don't just read it and then put it down and walk away. Drink it in. Take it in. Spend time with him in it. I would even say, and some of you already do this, I would say over the course of time, we need to read all of it. Like Genesis to Revelation, the, all of this was written for our instruction so that through encouragement, we may find hope. I'm not saying it has to be in a year. I'm not saying it has to be in two years. I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to put burden on you. I'm just, like, why would you not want to spend time with him each and every day? He paid your debt so that you could be in fellowship with him, so that you could be reconciled to him. He's, he's allowed you behind the veil. Get in there and spend time with him. Know his heart for you. Find a friend. That's, there's a lot of people here this morning. Find somebody that you can read at your pace with. Hold one another accountable on this. I would just encourage you, though. Know the heart of God. He's told it to us. It's all right here. Last application. We need to extend forgiveness to others in the same way God extended it to us. 
as we grow in our understanding, Paul prays, right, to know the depth. He wants the church to know the depth and the breadth and the height and the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding so that the church can be filled with the fullness of God. And then we go and we live that out, which means we must be in right relationships with, with one another. We're going to have times. We're going to step on one another's toes periodically. I'd say if you're not, <laughs> as you get closer to the people of God, as you're here more and more, I can't even tell you the number of times I've done it in the past year with people. I've had to go ask for forgiveness for things I've done. People will sin against you. I would say forgive them even before they come to you. Romans 5.10 says, remember that while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's a high calling for us. But go initiate. If somebody doesn't initiate with you, go initiate with them. Talk through it. We saw it in Matthew 18. It's in Matthew 5 or 6 as well. We need to be made right with one another. And then forgive. They, 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 hopefully they apologize, they ask for forgiveness, and you forgive them out of a heart that's full of love for them. You don't say, right? That's two. Think about how God forgave us. We don't tally. We don't keep score. No. 77 times. This is so critical for the body of Christ. If we want to be a church, nothing can prevail against us. If we want to be a church that can shine as a light so that others can see our good deeds, including the way that we forgive, we've got to be doing this with one another. As often as it takes, as many times as it takes, relationships in the church are critical and they must be reconciled. This isn't easy. I know that. I read somewhere the other day, forgiveness is often more for the person doing the forgiving than for the person that uh, is on the receiving end of that. Pastor Eric forgave. This man caused his life to change forever. He knew God loved him. He knew God's infinite mercy toward him. How could he not go be made right with this man? May we be a people who understand God's heart for us and go and forgive others the same way. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We can never thank you enough for what you have done for us. Our sins, they were many. Your mercy is more. We were running the other way and you grabbed a hold of us. You were so patient and kind with us just like the Israelites, to continue to call, to continue to woo, to continue to grab us until we came to you. And we're forgiven all of our sin. 
It was nailed, not in part, but the whole to the cross, and we bear it no more, and we praise you this morning for that. I pray that we would be a people overwhelmed by your grace, by your mercy, by your love for us, such that we can go and be made right with people, that we can be a church that loves one another, unity, harmony, so that we can be your people the body of Christ, and export this to a world around us who so desperately needs to know you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can stand. stand uh, Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) We'll respond to those great truths and sing, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord.
together. Father God, we pray that we would be overwhelmed by the mercy that has been shown to us at the cross of Christ, because you have paid our debt, a debt that we could never afford. You have shown us endless mercy. Lord, we pray that we would turn and show mercy to those around us, to our brothers and sisters, forgiving them their debts as we have been forgiven. Father, we pray that our lives would be an overflow of the mercy that you have shown us. And we long to see the day when we get to see our Savior face to face and live a life eternally of endless mercy and grace. Father, we give this evening, this, this morning to you. We give this Lord's Day to you. We pray all these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a couple of amount, announcements before we dismiss. Uh, number one, if you are interested in Fantasy Football League, if that's something that you would like to participate in, all you have to do is shoot a quick email to Steve Linskins or Matt Romeo. They'll get you all signed up, uh, and we will have the draft on Thursday uh, of this coming week. Secondly, just want to make sure that you know there is a time of fellowship immediately after the service, so uh, there'll be coffee and snacks available in the foyer or downstairs, and would love to invite you to that, just an opportunity to hang out, chat with one another. Always a blessing to do that. With that, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You're dismissed. Hope and pray that you have a wonderful rest of your Lord's day. God bless.